Welcome to the South Plains Church of Christ podcast. To stay up to date on what's going on and how you can be involved, visit southplains.info. I pray that this message reveals God's truth and love to you today. Let's dive in. Day parade was back in all of its full glory this year, and uh, Lisa made sure that we sat there and watched that thing. And emblazoned upon all these red banners were those was that word believe. And sure enough, right there at the end, he showed up. Brings back memories, probably to many of us, of that movie Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street, and the cynical six-year-old Susan who. Struggled. She struggled with doubt about the childhood belief of Santa Claus. And then came the arrival of one Chris Kringle, who claimed to be the genuine article. And it turned that skeptical child's world upside down. Is the story of Jesus in Scripture real? Or just just pretend? Do you believe? It's filled with supernatural things, faith-demanding events. Angels appearing, a virgin conceiving, God descending into earth as as a little baby. Special star guiding the magi to the birthplace. Is the story truth or is it fiction? Is it something that really happened or is it just this warm, fuzzy religious legend? Literally, uh, that that was... claim to take place if you don't believe should should you say you do just to make other people happy is it wrong to have doubts if you want to believe but you're uncertain how to get to that spot well a story in the beginning of luke's gospel i think should help any of us who struggle with this inner conflict of doubt. The first supernatural event was an angel appearing to an older man named Zechariah, telling him that he and his wife were going to have a son, and they would call him John, the forerunner to the Messiah, Jesus. It's about the conflict between skepticism and belief. And I hope today your belief will be strengthened And you'll know what to do with your doubt. Beginning in verse 5 of Luke 1 is the story. And on the surface, as you see in this text here, Zechariah doesn't appear to be the kind of person who would experience doubt. He was an experienced, conscientious priest. He obeyed all the Lord's commandments, it says. And both he and his wife had a good reputation with all the people, but verse 7 says they had no children. They had no children. Even though they were disappointed that their prayers weren't answered, they continued to believe in God and serve him faithfully in the temple. And then verse 8 says, One day Zechariah was chosen to burn incense in the holy place. And his faith was about to be challenged. This was a a once-in-a-lifetime experience. It's not something that would happen repeatedly, but it's just like, you know, the lot came up and it's your time, this is it. 
All the friends and family were gathered outside, verse 10 said, while Zechariah was inside performing his duty. Verse 11, while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. I just had to stop reading that and think, how would I react? How would you react if this was you? You're standing in this place. You're all alone. You've been here before, right? You've had this kind of something, some spirit. Where you're, it's just you. There's nobody else there. And all of a sudden, there's a sense there's somebody else there. Would you be terrified? Well, the text says in verse 12, he was shaken and overwhelmed with fear. But in verse 13, the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. That prayer for a child. But they thought God hadn't heard. You see the surprise in verse 18. When Zechariah doubted the angel by saying, How can I be sure? How can I be sure? Think of that. A godly, respected religious leader doubting the words of an angel. Well, the first thing we want to hold on to is that doubt obviously, is normal. Doubt is normal, even for godly people. Doubt is, is normal. Some people may find it easy to believe in the supernatural. Maybe from the time that they were little, they've been reading the scriptures, listening to scriptures, and, it's, and they've just taken this by faith. Others struggle maybe with doubt from their youth. They want to believe, but, but they're honest enough not to pretend to believe if they don't. When an event seems so far from normal, we're, we're tempted to doubt sometimes. And if you have doubts on occasion, well, obviously you're in good company. Because you might remember this story of this baby that was to come named John. John the Baptist, we know him as, doubted Jesus. Kind of like father like son. John was the first to proclaim Jesus as Messiah. He announced to Israel, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. But it was only months later that John was arrested, thrown into prison. He was, he was lonely. He was, he was hurting. And so he sent a messenger to Jesus asking this question, Are you really the Messiah? Are you, are you really the Messiah? Or should we be looking for somebody else? This was John's question. And Jesus later said, there was no one, there's no one greater born to women than John. But John experienced doubt because he was hurting. When life seems to be falling apart for you, you're tempted to doubt his promise. You're tempted to, to doubt his love, his care. When you get injured, you miss the big game you've been living your life for. When, you're, when your prayers for a, for a mate aren't answered and you're already 38, you wonder if you'll ever find someone. When you learn you can't have children, when you learn your ch child is in deep trouble, when you, when you give generously, you, know, you, you give 10% regularly, and yet you're still struggling with financial difficulties. When you, when you live a pure life and then yet suddenly your mate announces he's leaving you for somebody else, when your doctor says it's cancer, when your mom says, 
I think your dad has Alzheimer's. It's common to question God's promises in these kinds of times. Even good people like John doubted when he was hurting. You might remember Thomas who wanted to believe Jesus had risen from the grave, but he refused to say he believed it when he didn't. Another apostle told him, well, Jesus appeared to us. And he said, well, I'm not going to believe it until I see him with my own eyes and touch him with my own hands. Sometimes when you don't share the same experience as others who are believers, it can initiate doubt in your own, in your own mind. That's normal, apparently, even for good people. But don't forget the fact that, that doubt can be beneficial. There are times when it's appropriate, even essential, to doubt. Let's say that Lisa and I watched that, that movie, Miracle on 34th Street, and I don't buy her a present this Christmas. And Christmas morning, I say, wow, Santa really let you down. <laughs> and he promised that he's real. You know, her reaction would be, you better get real. The wise man said in Proverbs 14, 15, A simple man believes anything, but a prudent man gives thought to his steps. Somebody put it this way, He who never doubts, never thought. We need to doubt to be able to discern between fact and fiction. The kind, because that kind of doubt isn't cynicism, it's, it's smart. Did you know there's an annual world champion liars contest? For real. Did you know they bar politicians from participating? <laughs> it's true. The, the, the president of the club in Burlington, Wisconsin, explained that the contest is only for amateurs. If you don't doubt some politicians, if you don't doubt some reporters, if you don't doubt some preachers, if you don't doubt some salesmen, you're gullible and you're vulnerable to deception. Jesus explicitly taught his followers to doubt some things. He said, if you hear somebody say the Messiah has returned, he's out in the desert, don't believe it. Because when I come, every eye will see me, Matthew 24, 26, in that context. There are two types of doubt, really. One is the doubt of conscience that says, I can't honestly say that I believe something if I don't. But I'm willing to examine the evidence to see if it's true. And then there's the doubt of convenience that says, I don't know if it's true or not. It's just easier not to believe it. So don't confuse me with the evidence. I'm, I'm not going to examine it. Convenient doubt uses skepticism to justify immoral behavior. Conscious or honest doubt questions and investigates in order to draw a reasonable conclusion. Which is why I think Jesus was always patient with people who honestly doubted. When John the Baptist sent the question, are you really the Messiah or should we look for somebody else? Jesus didn't say, oh, John, I am so disappointed in you. I thought surely you wouldn't do that. No, no, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus sent this message back to John. Go tell John the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the poor have the good news preached to them. 
when John examines the evidence in light of Old Testament prophecy, Jesus knew his belief would be confirmed. When Thomas questioned, Jesus didn't say to Thomas, well, Thomas, you're off my team. You're on probation. You didn't believe in me. You're a second-class disciple now. You're a dunce. No. He said, Thomas, come touch my hands. Come touch my side. Don't doubt. Believe. Doubt is beneficial if it motivates us to investigate and it results in a stronger faith. Lee Strobel, I guess, maybe is, is uh, the name that first comes to mind, who was an atheist, a skeptical editor for the Chicago Tribune, who often ridiculed believers as naive. But after his wife became a Christian, he began to investigate the claims of Jesus, planning to prove them untrue. And yet two years later, he eventually was convinced and wrote a very effective book, The Case for Christ, that helped others come to faith. I mean, he could have conveniently just claimed to have doubt and, and lived as he pleased, maintaining his intellectual pride. Or, or, on the other hand, he could have pretended to believe. He could have gone to church with his wife, folded his arms, and tried to keep peace in the family without ever thinking about it. But when he honestly investigated the evidence, he came to the conclusion that it was believable. And in good conscience, he humbled himself. Now, doubt can be detrimental. Zechariah disregarded the evidence that should have convinced him at first. Verse 19, then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. This is reason enough to believe. But he doubted. And the Lord disciplined him for his doubt. For a little over nine months, he couldn't speak. That'd be a serious disability, particularly in the first century. The only way he could communicate was by writing his thoughts on a tablet. And prolonged, indecisive doubt is a disability as well. Because it can sour your personality. It'll rob you of the joy, uh, 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 the spiritual joy of faith. It makes you cynical towards others who believe. It can, it can open the door to temptation. When you doubt, it's a whole lot easier to justify, to rationalize immoral behavior. Doubt negates our witness, our testimony. If you want to convince others that Jesus is Messiah, you've got to first be so convinced yourself. And it can nullify our prayers. Remember when Peter walked on water to Jesus. You remember that as Jesus was walking towards him and Peter said, Lord, if that's you, ask me to come and walk on water to you. And Jesus said, come. Which was not a suggestion. That was a command, come. And because Peter had faith for a few seconds, he did the impossible. Then he began to notice the ways and he began to sink. Jesus reached out and grabbed him, and he said, Oh, Peter, why did, why did you doubt? Why did you take your eyes off of me and, and doubt? The half-brother of Jesus, James, said this in his book, When you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man shouldn't think 
he'll receive anything from the Lord. And doubt can excuse ongoing immorality. If it's in John's gospel, we find why most people reject Jesus. Here's what it says. It's, it's after that verse we all know, for God so loved the world. Later in verse 18, he says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And here's the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. I believe most doubt is not intellectual doubt. I think it's moral doubt. It's rooted in disobedience. We doubt because we love our sin. We doubt because we don't want to believe. Which is why Jesus commands, repent and believe the good news. That was his message as he came into the world. We're not going to believe in Jesus and eliminate doubt until we turn away from our sin and towards him. However, I want you to leave knowing this. Doubt is conquerable. Doubt is conquerable. Zechariah's doubt was soon eliminated. The, the evidence couldn't be denied. He couldn't speak no matter how hard he tried. His wife became pregnant just as the angel prophesied. Even though they were past age. Verse 57, Zechariah couldn't speak but he could hear. I don't know if you see that or not, but it's true. It, it didn't say he couldn't hear, it just said he couldn't speak. But you know how it is when you have a disability. People tend to treat you strangely, maybe ignore you. These people are making signs at him like he can't hear. What, what do you want to name the boy? What, what's the boy's name? And he's saying, speak to me, I can hear you. But they're having this debate about what to name him. And finally, they say, let's ask the father, verse 63. And to everybody's surprise, he wrote, his name is John. And when he obeyed the command of the angel, his tongue was loose. This story underscores, I think, two essential steps in conquering doubt. First, the need to examine don't sit back and say, ah, oh, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I believe. I don't know. Don't sit back and not do anything, but examine. Read. Examine what Scripture says. Faith comes by hearing the message, and the message is heard through the Word of Christ, Romans 10, 17. And don't just read books about the Bible. Read the Bible itself. Get a recent, understandable translation Start with the Gospels and, and, and read through the New Testament. Lisa and I have gotten a copy of uh, the Immerse Bible, Immerse New Testament. It's, 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 uh, it's, it's, all, it's all together. It's all about the Messiah, and it, it's all together. We're going to read it. It's just like a, a book, novel form, about ver chapters and verses, and we're looking forward to reading through that. I, I, do something like that. Examine. And then decide. When Zechariah humbly obeyed God's command, he was able to speak. 
When you examine the evidence, there comes a moment to decide and, and obey. You can spend the rest of your life investigating, doubting, fretting, or you can choose to believe and take the risk. You can walk in spiritual darkness and trust your own understanding for the rest of your life, or you can see that Jesus offers to open your eyes if you will examine. Somebody put it this way, when you scratch beneath the surface, what you'll find is there either a will to believe or a will not to believe. It's in Mark's gospel, you find the story of a, of a father who has a demon-possessed child, and he's distraught because sometimes that demon causes him to cast the child into, into fire, and he pleads with Jesus in this story. Jesus, if you can do anything, please have pity on us and help us. And Jesus said, if I can do anything, if all things are possible, those who believe. He answered the Lord, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. That tells me faith and doubt can coexist in the same heart. But the way we increase our faith is we act on the faith we have. If you walk by faith with the light that you have, your faith in the Lord will grow and you'll be able to trust God more completely. Somebody said it this way, faith is going to the edge of all the light you have and then taking one more step. What's your next step? Maybe it's deciding to believe. Maybe it's deciding to examine. Maybe you spent a long time thinking about it. Maybe it's the time to make a decision to follow. Maybe it's to declare and confess who he is, repent of your sin, and be baptized into Christ. Maybe it's to become active in the fellowship of the church. Maybe for you this morning, it's to ask the Lord to help you with your unbelief. We stand ready to walk along with you, whatever your decision is. We stand together, sing this song. Thanks for listening. Again, I want to encourage you to visit southplains.info. There you'll find event calendars, important announcements, ways to give, and to request prayer. Thank you for joining us. Thank you.